Welcome to another episode of Resonate with the Reconnected. And we have Rochelle Garcia-Seliga, who is a mother, wife, and midwife, midwifing a cultural shift through her teachings with us today. And I'm really excited about this conversation for a few different reasons. Um, one of the areas that I've seen you talking about, Rochelle, is this um, the middle years of parenting kids who are kind of, I think we usually call them tweens, tweens and teens, mm -hmm. um, the, the early teen years. And it was a time in my life as a parent where I experienced an incredibly strong um, message um, that I was receiving um, from the environment around me that it was very normal for me to be experiences and disconnect from my kids mm -hmm. and that I should tolerate and accept that and perhaps even encourage that. And um, actually it created a lot of um, dangerous situations for my children. And my personal journey with, with that was it kicked my intuition in next level and I actually just scooped my kids right back up and I've come to kind of understand that for me um what's truer than what's out there in the world um or what was out there for me is that it's a time when my kids might need me more than ever before mm -hmm. and I've seen um some of your offerings online and um some of your perspectives around the importance of this time. And I would just love to have a bit of a jam around this because I think it's some of the times when our, um, when parent as parents, we feel really quite lost and lost within the messaging and, and the support that we have to kind of, you know, parent the way we want to. So welcome. And Thank you. Um, let's have a jam about this. Okay. And how old are your kids now? Well, my kids are 20 in their twenties. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I know. Nice. Yeah. I'd I like do. to know. Uh -huh. My kids, uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got five kids and it's from nine downwards. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. My, oh, well, go my ahead. boy who actually initiated me into this process just turned 19 yesterday, actually. Oh. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I'm all, I'm like kind of enamored right now and like in awe with moms who have older children, you know, like conscious moms who have older children. Cause I feel like in the world right now, it's so great, right? Because there's so much, um, rising consciousness around home birth and supported yeah. postpartum times and early childhood. And like, that's really great. Cause that's even different. My daughter will be 13 this year. And, you know, I can track the trajectory. I'm 44 and I came into midwifery when I was 23 and I can see like how much has shifted for the better, you know, in this period of time. And that's really exciting, except I feel like I'm kind of on like the, the crest of the wave, you know, I and agree. I'm like, I kind of wish I was like a little further back and actually wish and wish this is all, you know, hypothetical, but yeah. I feel like for those, um, moms who have younger children, yeah. um, it's in a way going to get easier and easier for them because of like the paving that has been done and that we're doing. Really? 
<clears throat> so, I mean, I will say that like my awareness of these preteen and teen years has come through the heartbreak of raising a child in the modern world. And, you know, I created this postpartum training and so much of that training came out of um, me out of <clears throat> not only not having received postpartum care, but having apprenticed with probably 17 different home birth midwives during my apprenticeship in Mexico and the United States and um, not ever having had anybody talk to me about the postpartum time or postpartum physiology or any of that, you know? And so <clears throat> the creation of that work that I do was because I was like, oh my God, I have discovered like the void in, in our humanity. And so I'm going to do this work to like help fill this void. And I thought, okay, like <laughs> this, this void had been filled. And I don't know, I guess I thought, and therefore, you know, everything else will be smoother ahead. And then I get to these preteen years, mm -hmm. you know, and we've homeschooled um, throughout all of grades. And it's like, there's just this drop off, you know, and I would say, the, the drop off the way that I track it starts at about seven years old, but then it's like nine years old for sure. And then from nine forward, it's like, what is there for the youth? You know, there's all these amazing like Waldorf nature-based, um, you know, programs for our young children and all these great things. And then it's like nothing. And when I first started to track this, I'm like, well, maybe this is just like my little world, right? Because currently in where we have been living is in northern New Mexico in the United States. And it's very rural, um, like the entire state where we live is very rural. And then where we live is very rural. So I thought, well, maybe it's just like my environment. But, you know, I have a really large email list. And I thought, well, I'm going to make like a Google survey, and just check in with people and see like if what I'm tracking is like what other people are living and tracking. And, you know, I had like 200 people fill out this Google survey. It's not that much, but like out of 200, I mean, I, I can count in like one hand how many wrote back to me around the world telling me about really great programs mm -hmm. in their communities for preteens and teens, right? And then I've just been in this process of like trying to create something and where I feel the collective is at right now, like from my mothering experience, right? It's like, we're at this point where we're like, yes, to like the reparenting, you know, it's like, yes, to home birth and yes, to supported postpartum and yes, to reparenting ourselves. Like when our children are like zero to three, which is good, right? Because we know like that's an important time frame. Mm. but I'm like, what, what about, <laughs> what about the rest of the time? What? is happening, you know, and what I see in parents that I've interacted with is so much resignation is what it is. Gotcha. And like the resignation is like in what they express and in their body language. And a lot of it is like, well, I don't, I don't like how it is, but you know, it just, it's just how it's going. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, these are moms who like home birthed and were like really clear about what they're doing. And then it's just, and there's a part of it that I can like understand, right. In the same way I can understand why someone's an alcoholic or a drug addict. Right. I really understand it in an embodied way because 
the modern world is fucking intense, you know, and we're like, most people are in full survival mode. And I think a lot of parents get to that age and they're tired. They're like exhausted and they're done, you know? Mm. And I get that because like this whole system is designed to wear people down. Right. But there's this other part that I was just sitting in inquiry with, you know, over the past couple months, because it's so intense for me to like live and I'm like, what is going on? And then I, I feel like what I got to was that <clears throat> no one wants to like do the reparenting work when their kids are preteens and teens, because then they have to look at themselves and their preteen and teen years and like what they didn't receive. And what did we all not receive is like most of us didn't receive um, like mature adults around us to help like usher us into young adulthood. Most of us didn't receive any kind of like right um, embodied um, information around our bodies and sexuality. Most of us didn't learn about like emotional intelligence. Right. And so most adults are still teenagers, right? They're like 50 year old teenagers. So how can they be with their teenagers if they haven't evolved past their teenage self, right? Mm -hmm. And then another big piece that I track and like through the inner work that I've been doing on myself, especially this past year is like, there's this thing in the modern world and like in modern world spirituality um, and, you know, spiritual practices where it's like, um, if you can maintain, you know, a joyful, um, feeling, then it's like, you're better. It's like this hierarchy, right. Of like vibration, right. If you're in a high vibration, that's good. And if you're in a low vibration, that's bad. And so all this work is to like maintain a high vibe. But what I have learned about myself is that like, even though I would say that I'm very in tune with my feeling kind of person, I've realized that I've been on like the periphery of my feelings for a long time, as opposed to the center of my feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's that most of us as modern humans have very low capacity to feel the spectrum of our human experience, right? So yes, to joy and, um, you know, connection and love and all those things, but also yes, to grief and rage and despair. Mm -hmm. And do we have the capacity to actually feel those things without judging ourselves. Right. And why I feel like this is coming up for me now. And it's why I feel like it's relevant to parents of preteens and teens is because they are in the full spectrum of their human experience and their emotionality. Right. And people will say things, Oh, it's just their hormones. And it's like, well, sure. Like they're in big hormonal flux, but it's not just hormones in the same way. Like I would never say that to a postpartum mom. It's just your hormones. It's like, well, those hormones are a whole experience, right? So what is that experience like showing them? And I think this is why um, adults can't show up for preteens and teens right now, because we don't know how to be with the full spectrum of our humanity. And we are arrested in development, most of us. And we're like, preteens and teens in these older bodies, right? So we have to grow up. And I don't think a lot of people want to do that work because it is not for the faint of heart, man. 
Let <laughs> <laughs> alone the teen years part, the teen years part. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's hardcore. It really is hardcore, exactly for all the reasons why you ex- explained. And also, um, uh, one of the things that really struck me at that time, I was working as a counselor and a lot of the in a community mm. service when my kids were at that early teen age. And one of the things I was trained to do was normalize teen behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially um, like what you're saying, like uh, placate, like get the parents to just accept that this is how the teenagers are mm. and it's normalize the behaviors. And it's like, it literally just shuts down. I think where resignation kicks in is when mm. we, you know, we can't fight about it. We can't get away from it. And so we just give up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this very real um, sense of like, I want to do something about it. Oh, it's normal. Oh, I'll just give up then. You know, mm-hmm. it's what it kind of felt like to me was happening around me and, and my internal process with it. Like, mm-hmm. um, I guess for me personally, I was lucky that um, I'm just a very tenacious person that doesn't actually give up, you know, yeah. but yeah. it really takes something, it really takes something. Yeah. And it, I think yeah. um, one of the things that it takes, and I think I see this in a lot of teenagers is it takes getting in a lot of pain. Um, and unfortunately, our kids, be, the way that parenting is designed to, to wake, awaken us is our, our teenagers have, are so vulnerable to so many different situations that mm-hmm. the pain that they can get in and the pain that it causes us is immense, you know? So intense. Yeah. And we see their, their lives, you know, we start to go, you know, wow, if they go down this path, wow, if they go down that path, wow, if they go down this path. And they are so vulnerable to taking risks and the decisions that they make and without information around drugs and sexuality and, and um, choices, et cetera, you know, it can be really scary and devastating and get mm-hmm. us in a lot of pain. Yet if we don't recognize the the purpose of pain in the parenting journey, then we can't turn anything to gold out of it, you know? And when we're just placated, like it's normal, it's normal. It's like, oh, wow. Then, you know, we're really um, switched off and layered with a whole lot of heaviness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the way I've been experiencing experiencing it lately is like, you know, I feel very comfortable to be with small children having big expressions, right? What people are going to call tantrums or whatever. I'm like, I'm fine to be in that, you know? And it's like the understanding that like, okay, of co-regulation and that like in order for them to be okay, like we have to be okay. So you have to be the calm in their storm and all of that. Right. But it's like that same thing I've realized is true for this teenage years, except it's a whole different ball game. And like the thing that I feel kind of like, I guess I could say upset about is I'm like, why did nobody talk to me about this? Why is it I feel like I'm like discovering these things when this is like part of our humanity, right? Literally 
and no one has ever talked to me about this, right? So this is like going into birth mm-hmm. without ever having had been at a birth or ever having had anybody talk to you about birth, right? Mm-hmm. Which is insane because it's just like part of our human experience. And so I'm on this like edge of this wave learning things that I'm like, certainly people have already learned this, you know, but I'm like learning it in the moment. And those like, you know, what people are going to say tantrums for little kids, right. Big expressions that's happening as teenagers. Holy crap, man. That's like whole next level because that's like their pain being expressed. And do you have the capacity? Do I have the capacity? Do we have the capacity to be with them? in that level of pain with them, right? And still hold the center for co-regulatory purposes. And I can tell you, like I've had, you know, milder kind of experiences with that, but recently our family is moving soon and we made a, we were like making decisions about where to move. And my daughter was just so upset, um, like really upset and was like actually like so depressed, right? Um, and it's not because we're actually making a decision that's going to be bad for her. It's like a decision actually for her, right? A decision to like make things really good for her, but in the way that she sees it, right. in in her developmental stage is like her world is over and she was so depressed and she literally stayed in her room in her bed primarily for like two days. Okay. And she'd come out to go to the bathroom and, And it was like, you know, trying to figure out like what to do. And finally at one night at like 11 PM, when I'm like done parenting at like eight. Always always with teenagers, always. (laughs) Right. Always at the night. Right. Because, and that's a whole other conversation, but that's their physiology that I've just learned because they have really specific melatonin cycles. So they come on at 9 PM. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me that until recently (laughs) either, you know? I didn't and know so, yeah. Yeah. But and, I, mean, I, know, I know the experience of going to bed and then being woken for the debrief. Right. <laughs> right. The debrief. So it's like, I just recently learned that that's part of their physiologic design. They have like this melatonin cycle that kicks things on at 9 PM. Okay. But I'm like done. Right. And it's 11 PM. And then finally it's all coming out <sighs> how bad she feels. And then it gets into like, I want to die. Okay. I want to die. And, and I'm like, oh my God, because it's like the worst thing as a parent to hear your kids say that. Yeah. Like yeah. the worst, because we want them to like love life. Yeah. Right. And feel so fulfilled, yeah. but this is our thing too. And anyways, so she's just like in this thing. And I was like, oh my God, my daughter wants to die. And it was so intense, you know? And I was up like that with her to almost two in the morning. Okay. And then finally I got her to crawl into bed with me. Right. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And then in the morning, I'm like texting my friend and she's like, you're all good. She's like, sometimes you want to die too. Right. So just be real with yourself. Sometimes you want to die. Sometimes she wants to die. This is like the realness of the human experience. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I, and I was like exhausted and I'm like, I don't know if I did that right. I mean, I was like present with her and like all the things and, you know, and then, and then it was like the morning time she woke up two days in this, she's like, can we go for a bike ride? 
And I <laughs> was like, oh my God. And it's like the, the two-year-old, right. Who's freaking out and, and freaking out and freaking out. And then they're just done. If you're holding space for them and they're like, can I have a snack? Yeah. And I was going like, to say, and then they just want some food. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know? And so that was like a really recent initiation in terms of like how hardcore yeah. that is. Yeah. 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 And we have this saying um, in some of the work we do with um, teens, especially that there's this stepping back in that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Like there's the seven, there's, we kind of, you know, there's the first seven years Well, we recognize mm-hmm. like conception and birth and the, the influence that that has on us as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's the first seven years. And what I've noticed with my kids was from like um, 14, 13, 14 onward, It was almost like we got a redo. So Mm -hmm. like all the things that I missed where I wasn't there for them. Like from their early childhood. Yeah. Uh I got a redo, except it was like it came back a (laughs) hundred times more intense (laughs) and I had to be even more savvy than what I couldn't even do the first time, you know. So it was like this, another round of opportunity to step back in where I wasn't there previous, because they will just express all of their pain with you and to you and blame you for everything, everything, everything. And (laughs) here's the opportunity is like to go to be there again. And this feeling, I had this feeling of like, okay, I'm being there for them now, but I'm also being there for the younger parts of them that I, where I wasn't able to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, so my kids and I experienced some trauma when they were younger mm-hmm. and it was a massive opportunity their teenage years mm-hmm. because all of the anger and hurt and disappointment and the not being with and not having, um, you know, came out Uh, full force I felt and what I learned was if I could hold um, the and be willing to be the brunt of the projection um, then I could help them to get a bit more to the bottom of it and my eldest daughter who's 20 now she tells me now like I can't remember why I was so angry at you I can't remember why everything was you, 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 you. like, I thought you were the worst, she says. And then I'm like, but my dad's actually dysfunctional, but you're actually safe. But like, I couldn't get angry at him, but like, you were the worst. And like, she would throw things at me. She was so feisty, you know, just like redhead feisty and had some proper like upset and trauma that really did need healing. And Mm -hmm. her teenage years were an opportunity for that. But like the self-work that it took for me to be there for that level of um, pain healing, because it was, if I looked at it logically, it was so unfair. It's like, this is out of context. This is so out of context. I'm, I'm, if I wanted to defend myself, it's like, no, I'm this, I'm actually this, I'm actually that I'm actually doing this. I'm actually doing blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is a time for helping them to organize that, 
Mm-hmm. But if that's all we give them and we can't kind of be with the feeling and get to the underneath of it, then, mm-hmm. you know, we can't kind of midwife any kind of alchemy out of that pain. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, I feel like my entire parenting journey has been, why didn't anyone tell me, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm quite honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's just the, the nature of like being like awake through this time in parenting like why didn't anybody tell us yeah be the title of something (laughs) why didn't anyone tell us Mm -hmm. I absolutely love what you um shared about being on like the crest of the wave and what's coming because you know my my eldest is nine but we haven't schooled either and they my eldest is in like a bush school group and they have mentors and the it goes all the way up into teens and I'm so excited to see what this generation brings when mm-hmm. they in because you know they don't have the concept of a teacher they have mentors they don't have the concept of like disconnection they're always connected and they have just such a different um footing you know they're all born at home they have like that home birth proper postpartum care and I, I love that you are looking at that difficulty in the teen phase and the parents and still connecting back to that postpartum because it's what so many moms and fathers actually they miss out on that really crucial part of their journey with parenting so i would love to hear what you have learned and what you're applying with that because it's so special i am actually eight months postpartum I had mm. surprise twins, my fourth and fifth kids. I free birthed them at home. And um, it really mm. is the most essential part of the footing of being a parent. You know, I have had a very rewiring experience with this one because I had a lot of people come and help me. You know, obviously having surprise twins, it was like an absolute, oh, my God. And the community next level rallied around us. You know, I just was fed every day and constantly had food and constantly <laughs> help and i can't express how much that has given me creatively for my career um you know everything we're now leaving our home and traveling we're about to take off and i that just wouldn't have been possible with the level of love that was thrown at us in postpartum so i just yeah i'd love to hear from you in that yeah i mean that's the blueprint right is like how I always think about it and that's the um potential and I would say like that's what I'm wired to you know for better or for worse because sometimes it's also heartbreaking to be wired into the potential when when (laughs) there's not that's not what's being actualized um but that is what is meant to come forth from the postpartum time right so that no matter how birth unfolds, right? Because it's like, we're going into the mystery of birth. So we're not saying like, only if your birth experience looks like this, then will you be exalted in your postpartum time. We're saying, however your birth experience unfolds, if you're caught by your community in your postpartum time and you're resourced, then we're meant to emerge from a supported postpartum period, feeling radiant and fulfilled and clear and directed, right? And, um, you know, maybe that's part of the the plan of the takedown of humanity in terms of like, 
not only why birth has been attacked, but why the postpartum period has been attacked um, is because most mothers and fathers and families aren't experiencing that, right? They're emerging totally depleted and barely keeping their heads above the water. And so that harnessing of that potential is lost, right? <clears throat> and like, I always say that humanity's health is contingent upon maternal health because mother is first environment, right? To babies in the womb, to babies at the breast and <clears throat> center to the family system. So you're like the living proof of what that is like, right? Of having that kind of resourcing in the postpartum time. And then we can say the other 98% of mothers in the modern world are the proof of what it's like to not have that kind of experience, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, Did that answer it's, your question? Your yeah, question? I'm just, I love your work there. And I know that you um, have, you have mentors and indigenous teachings. I know that your work is innate um, mm -hmm. wisdom. So I'm just intrigued to hear a bit of your story about how that came to be and where it has taken you. Mm -hmm. Um, so in my twenties, I was adopted through spiritual adoption <clears throat> and my adopted dad, he passed away in 2012, but he was from the Ojibwe nation in the United States, which is Northern Minnesota. And I have an elder who's still alive and well, and she's from Trinidad off the coast of Veracruz in in South America. And, you know, just what my life path has been my destiny, whatever we want to call it was I met them in my early twenties. And I feel like the way that I think about them is they, they really are my godparents in the truest of sense. Um, because I feel like they caught me at a time to like usher me through young adulthood, you know? So at a time when most of the people who I knew quite honestly, were getting really into crazy partying and all kinds of stuff. I was like on this clear <clears throat> ceremonial path really. And my time with them paralleled my apprenticeship to midwifery. So what I wasn't receiving through my midwifery mentors, you know, everyone has this ideal of like what a mentor looks like. Right. And especially in the midwifery world, it's like, you want the midwife teacher to be all of the things. And I was like, if I spend like my life looking for this person, you know, I'm going to be like 95. So I better just get on with it. Right. So the places where I felt were lacking in my midwifery apprenticeship, um, I felt really held by my mentors. Um, and, you know, neither of them grew up within a traditional way of life, right? Um, Ken Kanuka Sturion Littlefish was my adopted dad and him and his family were kicked out of their homelands when he was young and forced into government projects in Chicago. And my elder also did not grow up with traditional holdings. So a lot of times people assume that like, I have some direct transmission from some like intact indigenous lineage. And it's not like that. My adopted dad actually was the youngest um, person to be in adult prison in the United States because he was put into foster care and they were abusing the crap out of him in foster care. And one night he took a baseball bat out because they tied him up at night. And one night he got out of all the ties and he beat up the people who were taking care of him. And he was put into adult prison and was in adult prison from the time he was five years old till when he was like 16 or 17, at which point he went into an Indian boarding school. Okay. So like his, um, 
let's say enlightenment came through his connection with God that he sourced by being in prison as a child, right? And, you know, my elder has her own version of the story, like growing up in like a Catholic family and all kinds of crazy rules and blah, blah, blah. And she had to find her way through connecting to source on her own. So like what they gave to me was not some like transmission from some intact cultural lineage, but it was about how to um, find God in and through myself. And it was and is about personal authority. And it was and is about not looking outside of myself and not even looking to them, you know, for um, direction. But how do we source that from within? And my adopted dad, a big, a big part or like the entire part of his legacy to this world was about the reunification of the human race. So he was one of the very few Native Americans in this country to say that these ceremonies that we have are for everybody. And they're not only for Native people, and they're for anybody who is committed to this life prayer, because the time we're living in is a time to come back together. So a lot of people actually didn't like him, right? A lot of the Native community didn't like him because he wasn't one of these, um, you know, Native pride kind of peoples who say, oh, if you're not a certain skin color, Um, or if you're not, you know, a certain percentage blood, you can't come in here. He was super against that. So like their teachings to me were and are about personal authority, Mm -hmm. about um, reunification of the human race, Mm -hmm. um, and specifically about these times we were living in. And, you know, a lot of people out in the world will have all kinds of opinions of me, right? Because they they assume so many things about who I learned from and who I am and that and right. all these things. Right. I'll see people having whole conversations about me on social media who I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's an important thing because my work and when I call my work innate traditions, innate is that which is natural and inherent, and traditions is that which is passed on from one generation to the next. And all of that, whatever we want to call it, encoding is part of our. Um, blueprint as human beings. So it doesn't really matter what race, what culture we come from, where, sorry, my turkeys are doing weird things outside. Okay. It's okay. Um, It's like, none of my work is about that. It's like, it's beyond um, culture, race, place, and all those things to get back to what are the unifying principles specifically within our physiology. And so my postpartum care training is like, what is the physiologic design of postpartum women? So it doesn't matter. You know, people will say, oh, well, I don't have these traditions because I don't remember them or these were stolen from me or whatever the 27 million excuses we can come up with. Okay. And I'm like, it's not about that. I'm not saying that's not true. There's a partial, partial truth there, but I am saying that I believe, and my work is dedicated to the truth that this time that we're living in is about going beyond that and getting back in touch with what is innate, inborn, inherent within us. And it's this blueprint. Um, And when we understand the blueprint and we follow it, we just have a map. It's like kind of easy, right? It's like the thing of what is the physiologic design of a teenagers? You know, I've just started getting these pieces and like, what if parents knew that like there's these different melatonin cycles for teenagers and they come on at 9 p.m. Why are 
teenagers going to school at eight o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. when their bodies are actually not wired for that. Like they don't even wake up till like 10 a.m. in the morning, right? So if we understood the physiologic design. About 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's 10 30. It's 10 30 in the morning here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so it's like if we understand this design and we follow it, then we have this map, how I see it towards wellness, right? So when I call my work innate traditions, it's like the remembrance of that design throughout this, these life stages that we're in, in our human life, you know, because it's different from like zero to three and three to seven and, and all of it. Right. And so if we remembered, and at some point in time we did right within intact um, lineages. And those were like the cultural understandings that were transmitted to us. So when we remember those things and we follow it, then that's what I believe and how I believe we create a living culture. Mm. Right. I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. I know that there are going to be a lot of people listening who are really going to resonate with your work and how you show up and teach. And we're going to leave links to your work underneath this podcast. And thank you so much for being a resident at the Reconnect. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel. Yeah, Yeah. so lovely to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me.